When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Policy and perspective from DC's top names. What the president wants to continue to do is make sure that we're lowering uh, energy costs for the American family. He shakes hands with ghosts and imaginary people. He falls off bicycles. First of all, I'm glad to have a president who can ride a bicycle. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Democrats helped the MAGA candidate win the Republican nomination for governor in Maryland. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics the day after a primary that was a microcosm for the midterms. We'll talk with Jessica Taylor of the Cook Political Report coming up. President Biden travels to New England today announcing new climate initiatives but stops short of declaring a climate emergency. We'll discuss a challenged agenda with Alice Hill, Senior Fellow for Energy and the Environment at the Council on Foreign Relations. Analysis from our signature panel. They're both here today. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. It was a clear win for Dan Cox last night in Maryland. He won the Republican gubernatorial primary, thanks in part or largely, depending on how you look at this, to a big endorsement. I want to thank President Trump. At the victory party last night, USA! putting Cox about 15 points ahead of establishment Republican candidate Kelly Schultz, who's endorsed by her former boss, the outgoing governor, Larry Hogan. It's unclear who Cox will face with a Democratic field, a big one uh, that's still too close to call. Although author Wes Moore, you know, the author endorsed by Oprah Winfrey is actually in the lead. We're standing in a group of believers that we as a state can be bolder, that we can move faster, that we can do this and we can do this work together. Now the state begins counting mail-in ballots tomorrow and uh, we get into some of the results here from last night. And also follow the money in Maryland with Jessica Taylor who joins us once again on this day after the primary Senate and governor's editor for the Cook Political Report. It's great to have you back, Jessica. Welcome. How long do we think it might take to learn who won the Democratic nomination? Well, Moore is ahead of former DNC chairman and former Obama labor secretary Tom Perez by about 10 mm -hmm. points. And we saw a much heavier Democratic mail-in voting than Republicans, which is sort of the trend we have been seeing. Yeah. Um, so if this counting starts tomorrow, if there's a clear trade, if sort of that 
I expect if you know that sort of ten point, maybe a little closer margin continues. I think we could see it, you know, called within the couple of days after that. Just to, we're just unclear how fast they're going to count, too. So. That's uh, that's become an issue, of course, lately. I want to ask you about who actually bankrolled Dan Cox's campaign, though, because this is. This would be whomever the Democratic nominee is their preferred rival, right? Much has been made of the fact that the Democratic Governors Association dumped over a million dollars. I think it was closer to two million dollars into ads and and mailers for uh, Dan Cox, if we can say that. They were critical through the eyes of a Democrat. But, you know, they, they emphasized his ties to Trump. And the idea is that Democrats would be able to run against the person they saw as the weaker candidate. They, they used an ad campaign called Meet Dan. Meet Dan Cox, Donald Trump's handpicked candidate for Maryland governor. Cox worked with Trump trying to prove the last election was a fraud. 100% pro-life. He's fighting to end abortion in Maryland. So you get the and point. Like I said, pushing his connections to Trump helped to draw Trump supporters to his side. This is not a new strategy. Of course, Jessica, Democrats did this in other states already in this cycle. Colorado, Illinois, Pennsylvania, and both parties, Democrats and Republicans, have done this uh, over the decades here. Kelly Schultz, who lost last night, calls it manipulation. Is she right? Well, it, Democrats are right. And this is the same message they would use in a general election. Of course, this is a state that Trump lost by 33 points in 2020. So, you know, it, it's sort of the backhanded way that he, he that is more effective with Republican primary voters, and then you by effect get the weaker nominee. Yeah. Um, now, this has been somewhat controversial in you know closer states where they've tried this because they're saying you know you have election deniers and people that they say would threaten democracy, but given the heavily Republican environment we expect in November, those people could still very much win. Yes, it's right. not as in a state like Maryland that is pretty solidly blue. Listen, if Schultz had won, um, she was in the mold of Larry Hogan. Like, we have a tr- mm-hmm. tr- there's a tried and true way that blue states have elected Republican governors, and they have to be moderates and they have to be centrist. That's the reason why you have Larry Hogan that was handily reelected in 2018, yeah. even in a Democratic year. Um, the governor of Vermont is a Republican. You know, it's hard to think of a, you know, you have Bernie Sanders and a Republican governor sure. from his state. Look at Charlie Baker but, in Massachusetts, where the, where the exactly. president was today. But I guess well, that raises exactly. the question then, Jessica, is this, does, does that nominee then, if Democrats are, are thumbing the scale to get a MAGA candidate in there, that candidate doesn't necessarily represent the Republicans who live in that state. So so that is well, technically manipulating the outcome. But then again, welcome to politics. Well, if we look at the attorney general's primary there, too, where you did not see such spending, um, it turned out to be about the same margin. So I think we just see the Republican Party as a whole, uh, ones that are more like more likely to vote in primaries, mm-hmm. that they are more conservative and they are more closely tied to the Trump base. I mean, Hogan and Baker's popularity there, it doesn't come necessarily from Republicans. It's from independents and Democrats. Right. And that's how you have to build a winning coalition. So I think even if Democrats had not spent in this, I still think the outcome probably would have been the same with Cox winning, just because that is how we see that the Republican Party and these okay. the, the primary electorate is more conservative. Yeah, that's a great point then, knowing that, that Kelly Schultz would have likely been a more formidable candidate against any Democratic nominee, right? Larry Hogan had the recipe that you just pointed out, and it requires Democrats to vote for you in the general. Right. 
and we mentioned Baker there in Massachusetts. Trump yeah. waded into that race. This is a race that would have stayed solid Republican in our ratings if Baker had run for a third term. Hogan didn't have huh. that option because of term limits. Yeah. But Trump endorsed his primary challenger that there was a very good chance he was going to lose to. So he decided retirement. We moved both of these races and our ratings changes today to solid Democrat. There were instances where Republicans could have possibly held on to both of these seats. I think definitely if Baker were running and in Massachusetts, if Schultz had won, yeah. um, you know, it would be competitive, at least given this environment and, you know, whether she debate back and forth and whether she can sort of recreate that Hogan magic, but it at least would have been competitive. Instead, these are two Republican held states that are going to all but surely flip to Democrats in the fall. And it's because Trump has waded in, picked weaker candidates um, and he's cost Republicans two, two governor's races flat out. Yeah. Well, it's a great point that you're making, though. I mean, I know that this is just the business of politics for you, Jessica. But for some of our listeners, that's incredible. You guys moved the Cook Political Report, moved this race in Maryland to Leans Democratic, not even knowing who the Democratic nominee will be, because it doesn't matter. We moved it to solid Democrat. It was solid Democratic. Solid. Yes. Incredible. Um, because with, because it doesn't Cox matter. Is, literally doesn't matter who Dan Cox will face. It really does not. <laughs> he is the type of he is the uh, complete 180 from the type of Republican that can even be remotely competitive yeah. in a blue state like Maryland. Well, I guess that tells us a lot about where we are here. I won't ask you about Jeff Deal. I don't think that name has come up on this program either. That that, that would be the Republican running for governor in Massachusetts. Not a prayer, uh, Jessica. He's running against Maura Healey. The, uh, the attorney general in the state is very popular. Uh, she is. She would actually be the first openly lesbian governor um, if she wins as expected. So, yeah, also, again, I'm not sure Healy would have run if Baker was going to run again, um, especially given the political environment. But again, yep. if Baker would have run again, I truly believe he would have won. But without him and, you know, his lieutenant governor passed on the race, Jeff Deal, mm -hmm. very much in the same mold as Dan Cox. Massachusetts has has elected centrist Republican governors before. Bill Weld, Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney, that's right. It's not in that realm. Uh not lost on us, by the way, that Charlie Baker did not attend the presidential event today in Somerset, Mass. Uh, I don't believe the lieutenant governor was there either. It was the it was the Democratic delegation. But that's the way things are sometimes in yeah. Massachusetts. As we spend time with Jessica Taylor of the Cook Political Report. Jessica, I want to ask you about the Pence effect uh, here. And, and if there actually is one, uh, we saw Mike Pence, of course, succeed in, in, in at least choosing the right side in the gubernatorial uh, primary in Georgia. Uh, but he's getting more involved. He's endorsed a candidate to to run against uh, the Trump-picked candidate for governor in uh, Arizona. And we just learned today he's going to be speaking at the Heritage Foundation on Monday here in Washington. That's going to be coinciding with Donald Trump's big comeback event. He's doing a, a, a two-day conference in which he'll uh, be the keynote speaker on Tuesday. First time he's in town since leaving the White House. Is Mike Pence rising on the campaign trail? <laughs> Listen, if you were anti-Donald Trump or maybe like some like Pence in a way, then you can see that think that he stood up and did what was right on January 6th. You were not going to vote for Donald Trump again in at least a primary yeah. already. But I just, given where Trump stands... I think your phone reality. might be giving up on us here, Jessica. Uh, Jessica Taylor, I do appreciate the insights, as always. Cook Political Report, Senate and Governor's Editor. Maybe we can get uh, Jessica back if 
we can clean up the line here. But this is something that we need to talk about, and we will do it uh, with the panel. First, I was going to tell you about the Trump event next week, and this is actually a this is a it's, it's a riot. It's going to be over the course of two days here at a hotel in downtown Washington. It's uh, I believe it's a make a build. I don't remember what we're doing to America, but it's a it's a like a MAGA event that you, with an obvious title. Uh, I'll pull this up in a second here. Uh, he's going to be talking for the first time here, surrounded by members of Congress, former Trump administration officials. Uh, who support what he has to say about the 2020 election. The day earlier at the Heritage Foundation, you're going to have Mike Pence talking. So this is going to be kind of a Pence v. Trump uh, setup next week that we'll be talking a lot more about. And we'll do that with the panel. Coming up, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us, Bloomberg Politics contributors, as we say thank you again to Jessica Taylor uh, from the Cook Political Report. And I mentioned President Biden in New England today jumped on Air Force One uh, to Somerset. Massachusetts, not far from beautiful Rhode Island, and we'll tell you why. He did not declare a climate emergency, as many predicted, but trying to loosen up the market for windmills. We'll tell you what he was doing there at a former coal plant in New England. It's great to be back with you. Thanks for joining us on the Fastest Hour in Politics. Our panel's up next. This is Bloomberg. Tomorrow, Bloomberg's David Weston speaks with Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. The account balance of the consumer pre-pandemic to now are multiples bigger. Tune in tomorrow at noon on Balance of Power. Our small business originations are up 20-30% year over year. Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan. Small business consumers, are they worried about inflation yet? Because every time they open a paper, the paper says worry about inflation. Tomorrow at noon on Bloomberg 1130, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. So did Democrats do something untoward in Maryland? Or is that just the game of politics? After all, they did get an election denier elected. Well, they helped get him elected. Dan Cox beat the preferred Republican establishment candidate Kelly Schultz in what was not a close race in this primary in Maryland, up by 15 points or so, and he talked to the AP when it was done. Democrats are afraid, I think, 
the progressive Democrats see our candidacy as the only one willing to stand up and articulate the values that everyone loves in Maryland. The progressive values of bigger government, of more lockdowns, of vaccine passports, of jabs for jobs, these are out the window in my administration. Endorsed by Donald Trump, bankrolled in part by the Democratic Governors Association, which preferred to run against him, even though we do not have a Democratic nominee yet. And so we just heard from Jessica Taylor, the Cook Political Report put this in the strong uh, Democratic column based on what happened last night. Let's assemble our panel. I miss both of them. Rick Davis with us from New York. Jeannie Shenzano is here in Washington, D.C., Bloomberg Politics Contributors. Do you ever pull one of these, Rick, when you were running campaigns or start to put money behind the candidate you'd hope to face? You know, I don't think we ever use financial resources. They were always, you know, sort of <laughs> too valuable for our own candidate. But yeah. uh, we certainly elevated other candidates in the sense of, you know, saying nice things about them on the stump or, you know, being flattering to them in a debate. Uh, but not so much uh, like what we've seen in the Democratic Party's efforts this time around, especially with candidates who in other times would have been considered fringe candidates. In other words, yeah. what happens if lightning strikes and this person actually gets elected? What a well, disaster. Right. that would be for the state and the country so i think this is playing with fire and i and i'm 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 just my own instinct is that it's a little too cute by half do you worry uh, genie about who might get elected is this to be careful what you ask for I think it is. Um, you know, the the Democrats are essentially banking on the fact that these far right Trump candidates that they're you know investing, quite frankly, in some cases millions of dollars in yeah. um, the Democratic Governors Association, that they will you know be easier to beat. But of course, that has worked out in some cases. People talk a lot about Claire McCaskill's run as being an example when that has worked out. Yeah, yeah. But the fear here is it may not always work out. And I think Mastriano in Pennsylvania is a really good example. We don't know yet. That's going to be a tough race. But in this environment, they are playing with fire. But the the real concern is, here is that you've got Democrats on the January 6th committee who have, you know, put essentially their careers on the line in some cases, who are making the case about the danger this the, these people pose to democracy itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that those two things make this really problematic and hypocritical. And, you know, we saw people like David Brooks in the New York Times call out the Democrats on that. And I don't think voters are going to pay much attention, but I do think it is a dangerous game to be playing. Then again, you do whatever you can with the resources you have to win a race here, right, Rick? I mean, at some point, uh, it's welcome to the NFL, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, each strategy has a risk associated with it. And and the risk in this case is that you help one of these fringe candidates get the nomination and they win. And so you just gravitate toward whatever the less risky uh, approach is. I I honestly think they could have saved a million bucks because they were likely to win a governor's race in, uh, you know, in Maryland anyway. And so why use a million dollars to try and influence a primary that's probably not going to matter at the end? So uh, I, I, I really wonder what their strategy is, because I think they're just playing along the edge and they're creating this conflict within their own party on values. And, and Jeannie's right. I mean, they, they've invested so heavily in these January 6th hearings where the the point is that the kind of rhetoric that Donald Trump is using is hurtful to the democracy, and yet they're putting yeah. money behind it. Right. So I, I think that's a bit of a conflict they're going to have a, trouble uh, resolving. It'll be a heck of a story if one of them wins, to your point. Uh, but, but, boy, you know, when you listen to, to – uh, 
Jessica talk about this, Jeannie, for Cook to put this. This is why people hate Washington, right? First of all, you've got one party trying to bankroll the other one to, to try to game the system. Then the Cook Political Report puts this in the strongly Democratic column without knowing who the Democratic nominee will be. Is, has this become that predetermined? You know, in the case of Maryland, to Rick's point, it has. But every I, state has its own model like that, know, right? I mean, this is this is why people don't trust us in and, Washington. And quite frankly, this is why people decide not to go to the polls. And, and that, to me, is really troubling. You know, I live in New York, and that is essentially, in many areas, a one-party or one-district state. You yeah. know, you win the primary in Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's district. Yeah. That is it. There's no battle. New York City, very, very, you know, there have been battles, but it's few and far between. So that, to me, is, is a problem from a Democratic perspective because we want two healthy parties to be contesting people to get out and to make their choice Mm -hmm. and that's not what is happening in many of these states and you know i think cook is is actually right whoever wins the democratic primary if it's Wes Moore, whoever it is they are going to likely win the governorship which to rick's point makes this millions of dollars spent trying to boost cox um you know a little bit questionable but you know maybe democrats feel they have more at risk than cook does so does this then mean rick the end of the of the moderate to the extent that Jessica was discussing, you think of the moderate Republican governor in a blue state, the Larry Hogan, the Charlie Baker, the Mitt Romney or Bill Weld. We don't do those anymore then? No, I, I must say, though, I, I have to take a shot at the Cook report because Charlie Cook said <laughs> that uh, John McCain's campaign was dead and buried when there we failed go. in the summer, right before we came back and won the nomination. He so was I'm, very I, quick to remind I, us I'm, of that. I, I must say that that was one of my higher points <laughs> when seeing Charlie after we won the nomination. Very good. This is why we have Rick Davis and Jeannie Shanzano, our signature panel. They're with us for the hour. As we turn to what the president was up to today, On a plane to New England to talk about the climate, Alice Hill will join us from the Council on Foreign Relations. This is Bloomberg. The old Brayton Point power station in Somerset, Mass., was the setting today as President Biden left the bubble to talk about his climate agenda. I come here today with a message. As president, I have a responsibility to act with urgency and resolve when our nation faces clear and present danger. And that's what climate change is about. It is literally, not figuratively, a clear and present danger. The health of our citizens and our communities is literally at stake. The UN's leading international climate scientists call the latest climate report nothing less than, quote, code red for humanity. Code red. But as I read on the terminal, with an eye toward retaining Joe Manchin's support for some measures, remember, build back better light, President Biden held back on declaring a formal climate emergency, which just a couple of days ago was the big headline. That's what he was going to do today, even though no one knew exactly what that meant. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre was certainly asked about it. What the president wants to continue to do is make sure that we're lowering uh, energy costs for the American family. Again, everything is on the table. Uh, I'm not going to go into private discussions, policy discussions, or get ahead uh, of the president. That was Karine Jean-Pierre in the briefing room at the White House yesterday. Reporters kept coming back around, but wait a minute, so no climate? She brought it up, by the way, that there would be no climate emergency. And so reporters kept asking, well, why? And by the way, what would that be? Declaring a public health emergency is very different from declaring a climate emergency. Each unlocks a different set uh, of authorities and a different pot of funding. Uh, And so that's one way to to think about that. Um, So 
you know, one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up because we've heard this, and so comparing one against the other as a reflection of priority would not be uh, would not be accurate. Uh, but again, it's on the table. On the table, we heard about what was on the table repeatedly. Are there any downsides to declaring a climate national emergency? Um, right now, like I said, um, it's not on the table for this week. Not on the table just this week. The president under pressure to meet campaign promises of aggressive action. Look, this agenda has been kind of beaten up lately with the call for oil companies to start producing more to try to get gas prices down. We're in a different world than this campaign thought it would be before Joe Biden came into the White House. That's what happens. But we do wonder where this agenda could go. And that's why we wanted to talk with Alice Hill, Senior Fellow for Energy and the Environment at the Council on Foreign Relations Alice, welcome. We're reminded uh, on almost daily basis here uh, that the midterm elections are just a couple of months off and the president's climate agenda could be on the rocks at that point. What can he get done then with Joe Manchin between now and then? Well, uh, Joe Manchin has been sending mixed signals, but the latest signal appears to be that there might be room for climate in the Build Back Better reconciliation package. And you know, that appears to be of great interest because... Uh, there has been a little bit of rollback, as you said, uh, from the Biden administration on this effort to care, declare a national emergency. Yeah. Uh, we can expect more regulation from the administration. But, of course, the Supreme Court has indicated that with regard to climate and the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, their risk of having the major questions doctrine imposed, which huh. pretty much says Climate is something that the legislature, the U.S. Congress, yeah. uh, should be directing the agencies to work the, on. That EPA so, ruling was important. Do you have a sense, though, of what the what would a climate emergency do? It would unlock funding, but what would we do yes, with it? It would unlock funding. It would uh, allow for uh, greater use of uh, resources, switching resources uh, yeah. among federal agencies as well as allow for greater urgency within uh, the, uh, the departments to act. It probably would be coupled with the Defense Production Act, as well as increased regulation efforts as well. This national emergency has been around for 50 years. Every president, uh, many presidents have used it. Uh, there are 41 declarations out there, and uh, Trump used it effectively with the border. So there's some thought yeah. that the president would have used it here. A climate emergency. What, what we did get, by the way, uh, was a move to expand wind power generation and the availability, uh, availability, easy for me to say, of efficient home cooling systems. That This plant, Brayton, I don't know if you're familiar with it, uh, Brayton Point, it looks like something out of The Simpsons. You get the big uh, smokestacks, you know, on the horizon there right next to the water. It was a coal-fired uh, uh, power plant opened in the 1960s. And they're going to turn this into uh, an operation that's going to make these massive cables uh, for wind generation. Uh, am I being too much of a wise guy here? Was this actually a, a progress today, Alice? How meaningful was the announcement? Uh, his announcements, I thought, were not particularly uh, robust, other than perhaps the uh, offshore wind lease opportunities in the Gulf of Mexico and Florida, Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina. Uh, he did say that FEMA could distribute $2 billion, which is a lot of money, 
to build mm-hmm. cooling centers. But that really seems more in response to what we're experiencing right now. That yeah, like uh, the United States has 100 million people under heat, heat warnings. Um, and then also some uh, 380 million for HUD to do some air conditioning work. That seems much more responsive to what's happening right now than yeah. a long-term agenda. Not not likely to get gas prices lower either, I presume. Uh, I don't think so. As we talked uh, so about Yeah. The Biden administration has been hit with uh, a number of political setbacks, uh, and they're running out of time. Alice, I'm glad you could join us. Come back again when we when we know more about this emergency, because they say it's still possibly coming. Alice Hill, Senior Fellow for Emergency and Environment at the Council on Foreign Relations, helping us put things in perspective. God, I could have used a cooling center today in the Russell Senate office building. It's hot in D.C. if you haven't heard. Sometimes the A.C., you don't even know if it's on. But I digress. We'll reassemble the panel next. Rick and Jeannie cool in their heels and will weigh in on what we just talked about, as well as news that the president will meet with President Xi in the next 10 days. News breaking as we speak on the fastest hour in politics. Stay right here. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Face it, your business is unique. It faces challenges and risks that are specific to your industry and to the skills you and your team bring to every challenge. You need experienced insurance professionals. The Hartford accepts the challenge. The Hartford understands that protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can help provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to easily manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. With experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford faces any challenge to deliver innovative, customizable solutions that your industry and your unique company demand. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. I know a lot about wind. I know a lot about wind. If it doesn't blow, you can forget about television for that night. (laughs) Darling, I want to watch television. I'm sorry the wind isn't blowing. (laughs) And they say the noise causes cancer. You tell me that one, okay? You know, the thing makes it so... If you have a windmill anywhere near your house, congratulations. Your house just went down 75% in value. You know, we have a world, right? So the world is tiny compared to the universe. Tremendous, if you're into this, tremendous fumes, gases are spewing into the atmosphere. And then all of a sudden it stops. The wind and the televisions go off. And your wives and husbands say, darling, I want to watch Donald Trump on television tonight. But the wind stopped blowing and I can't watch. There's no electricity in the house, darling. You forget what a routine he had. I mean, this is like every time he spoke, he got the rap on windmills. And I just thought, my goodness, if we're talking about Joe Biden, 
laying down new initiatives to prompt more wind energy in this country. He was up in New England, if you're just joining us there, talking about uh, this old coal-fired power plant that they're going to turn into an operation that'll make cables for wind farms. Uh, Jeannie Shanzano, of course, was uh, listening along with me here in Washington, D.C. She's part of our signature panel. Rick Davis is in New York, Bloomberg Politics contributors. Uh, he even had you going as the Democrat, Jeannie. I mean, it's just the... It, <laughs> I don't know what it was about that routine, but it always got the room going. You forgot you had a stand-up comedian for president, didn't you? Yeah, you brought back a lot of memories. He's been talking about windmills that cause cancer. He's been talking about them killing birds. They're a stand-in for green energy initiatives. They break. You have to replace them every 10 years. He goes on and on. There's a lot of them. So thank you for the memories, Bring your property values down. (laughs) The thing is here, uh, though, uh, look, this is a sticky uh, subject for Joe Biden, uh, Rick Davis, Gas prices are not going to come down because of what he announced today. Um, He does say that this will create jobs, but we're talking about a long-term transition. Should he be holding events at this point in the game about wind energy? Yeah, I think there was just some expectation that he was going to say something on climate this week. There's right. a lot of pressure in his party to do something. And as you talked about earlier in the show, tons of pressure to declare an emergency. Mm-hmm. And I think they just sort of looked into the toolkit and said, what do we got that we could throw out here today? And this was really a weak attempt at trying to feed the beast. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I think he did more a year ago by having wind uh, put up outside of Martha's Vineyard uh, than, than he's doing today, announcing this huh this future plan for the Gulf. So I don't know. I, I, I didn't see it as like going to satisfy anybody who was concerned about the fact that they're, they've lost the initiative on climate. Well, I'll tell you, he's, he, he's he'll have to do the climate emergency genie, right? He's essentially telegraphed that to progressives who want to see this happen. Do you expect an announcement next week on that? You know, he is under so much pressure. We heard from Murky. We heard from several mm-hmm. rep- representatives and senators, They w- and n- not to mention the base, who want him to go bold on this, uh, you know, calling this climate emergency. And there are there are positives for him of doing it, but there's also real political challenges there. You know, what happens if he does this and he raises oil prices in the U.S. as they march into a midterm and our European allies fighting with Russia, you know, supporting Ukraine in this fight with Russia have their prices go up as well. That's just one of the many political problems. What about is, you know, if the Supreme Court, you know, takes away his ability to do this under this major questions doctrine, there's a whole host of challenges. He knows that. The White House knows that. That's why I think they've been a little bit slow on this. He may get pushed into doing this. I think it is bad politics. I don't think he should do it. Well, I'll tell you, it sounds like it's coming, though, Rick. Uh, So who do you satisfy on this one? And and do progressives deserve something from this White House before things shut down after the midterms. Yeah, I think that uh, uh, certainly with the pen, you know, the the number of things that are brewing in Capitol Hill right now, I, I think it probably pays this administration to sort of keep focused on the legislative agenda. And mm-hmm. these executive actions aren't really going to amount to much. Uh, you know, look, climate is a relatively safe place for this administration, right? They they can talk about it without cross-pressuring their base. The moderates, you know, think it's important, too, along with the progressives and and it's not going to estrange any independent voters if anything it's probably helpful so from mm-hmm. a political point of view we can talk about this stuff all day long it just doesn't look very competent you know when he talks about doing big things and he likes to talk about doing big things and then when he announces it it's not at all a big thing one thing he did announce apparently inadvertently today i don't even want to say that there are questions about whether he meant to say this in the speech 
that he that he has cancer. I, if you do a Google News search on this, you'll see what I'm saying. Everyone has picked up this story at this point. Let's listen to what President Biden actually says. My mother drove us, and rather than us be able to walk, and guess what? The first frost, you know what was happening? You had to put on your windshield wipers to get literally the oil slick off the window. That's why I and so damn many other people I grew up have cancer. And why can't for the longest time Delaware had the highest cancer rate in the nation? The RNC, uh, Republican National Committee, just tweeted that clip. It says, did Joe Biden just announce he has cancer? Uh, Did that just sound like a slip, Jeannie? What's going on here? I think it was a Biden slip. He said, I grew up with have cancer. And, you know, I think he misspoke. It's an unfortunate statement for him to make. They're going to have to very quickly and very clearly clarify what he was trying to say, because, of course, the issue of Joe Biden's health, Joe Biden's age and the stumbles he has made and keeps making in his speaking engagements have people, namely Democrats, really concerned about his ability to move forward into 2024. So this was an unfortunate error, um, I'm assuming, just a miss. You know, he misspoke, but they've got to correct this. He did have melanoma. uh, Rick, is this something the White House needs to talk about? They're going to have to clarify it, but yeah. as you say, Joe, I mean, he had melanoma. I mean, he's—it's he, not a—it's not a secret that Joe Biden had cancer. Um, he had a brain tumor taken out. He's had melanoma, so it was it hard to tell he if he was, was what tense he was in right, there. Apparently, exactly. he was. But if you know, my goodness, the RNC doesn't miss a beat. But to your point, uh, Jeannie, this is something that keeps coming up. It came up in a in a hearing uh, just yesterday, the House Transportation Committee. Representative Troy Nels, Republican from Texas, not a fan of Joe Biden, uh, is talking with Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. They talked for a long time, by the way, uh, about uh, about enacting the infrastructure law. They were talking about roads and bridges and stuff. And, and then this happened. He shakes hands with ghosts and imaginary people. He falls off bicycles. Even at the White House Easter celebration, the Easter Bunny had to guide him back into his safe place. Cue cards that say sit here or end of speech, which he actually states, that is, if he stays awake. So my question for you is, sir, have you spoken with any other cabinet members about implementing the 25th Amendment on President Biden? First of all, I'm glad to have a president who can ride a bicycle. And I will look beyond the the insulting nature of that question and make clear to you that the president of the United States... Have you spoken to any other cabinet members about implementing the 25th Amendment on President Biden? Of course not. Please allow the witness to answer. Have you emailed... This is my time. Have you emailed any members with the the executive branch about the president's health or cognitive decline, including text messages from your private phone? I figured this. What about a political appointees at USDOT? Have you spoken about gentleman's time has expired? Uh, that's how that ended. What are we doing here, uh, Jeannie? Is that are we working on a, a, a TV commercial? Is that a political ad in the making or a legitimate question? You know, in that context, it's a political ad. It is showboating, but the issue is real. Look at the New York Times poll, which found, you know, about 65 percent of Democratic voters say they're concerned about Joe Biden's ability to run and serve a second term. That's Democrats. And, you know, there was the piece by Peter Baker almost the same weekend talking about it. Robert Reich, who so many of us respect, came out and said flatly, Joe Biden is too old to run. So age, health are a real 
real concern. At 79, he's the oldest president. And so if he was to run and serve two terms, he'd be 86 by the time his second term ended. So Americans have a right to think about the health and the age of their president. So he's going to have to address these issues if he does decide to run. But it's a real issue. I don't know if if all of those were fair, uh, Rick, but there's nothing fair in politics. Is this this refrain or these questions going to get louder by Republicans as we go? Sure, Joe. I mean, as you point out, nothing's fair in politics and, and certainly not during a congressional hearing. So uh, I, I think you'll you'll hear this. Look, nobody ever even heard of the 25th Amendment until Donald Trump became president. Next That's thing you know, point. we're all studying the Constitution. And, yeah. and so, uh, yeah, this is just a thing of the day. Uh, you know, we used to investigate administrations. Now we impeach them uh, pretty regularly. Now, uh, what's better than impeachment? Oh, throw him out with his own cabinet. So, yeah, you know, unfortunately, it is part of the, the, the narrative these days. And and, and and since it's been in the news a lot lately, uh, because of other cabinet members in the Trump administration having looked into the 25th Amendment, yeah. um, you know, Republicans feel compelled to sort of put this administration on the spot. It's a total waste of perfectly good taxpayer time. If you're curious, by the way, as the Washington Post pointed out this morning, Nell's assisted Capitol Police in barricading the Capitol entrance as insurrectionists tried to storm the building on the 6th of January. Uh this was the day, you know, they were voting to certify, but while he called the insurrection a disgrace, he also voted to overturn Joe Biden's victory. Jeannie, thank you. Great to see you in D.C. Rick in New York. Rick Davis, our signature panel. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Great to be back with you today. God, it goes by quick, but then again, it's the fastest hour in politics. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Primetime, January 6th committee. I'm Joe Matthew, and this is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.